Who the Wild Things Are with Ryan McGuire. You gotta listen to your body. Oh my God, maybe, you know, I could get out there. I could do this. Let's take a ride. Find your wild side. Real stories. See with your own eyes. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna have the best time out here. Yeah, I was in tears. I was like, that's the best, man. Welcome back to Who the Wild Things Are. My name is Ryan McGuire, and I'm here to bring you conversations with the most wild folks on the planet. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend. Appreciate you guys. Let's get it going. All right, Lucas, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, back in your, uh, your old stomping grounds. Yeah. So... Yeah. I'm uh we were just talking and I didn't want to get into it before this but I I stumbled upon your story initially because my friend Mitchell came across the idea of the Teton picnic and he said, "Yo, there's this crazy like endurance thing. I think you'd be really into it. It's just like a big day in the mountains, biking, swimming, climbing." And I was like, "Okay, I'll check this out." And I went on and I saw a blog and it was your blog. And I okay. realized, um, well, at first I had no idea because you don't lead with it. Um, your, your, your blog was just like, kind of like, yeah, I'm a mountain athlete, went up, did it with my friends. And then I think maybe I looked up your Instagram and I saw little lefty Luke and I was like, huh, I wonder what that's all about. Like, was that his name as a kid? But you were actually referencing your arm and yeah. I'm going to mess up the the way you say it, but arthrogryposis. You got it. Uh, yep, that's I, okay. Right. Yep. I've been practicing <laughs> totally. like in my bedroom. <laughs> nice, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I just, I came across a story and, you know, being a mountain athlete myself, I'm always thinking like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm doing some cool things. And then I saw what you were doing and I was just like immediately astonished. Um, mm -hmm. So I was like, I got to get this guy <laughs> on the podcast and do whatever it takes. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So I'm yeah, stoked yeah. you're here, and uh, I'm excited to talk about some of the things you've done, and and also um, talk about some of the things that you've got coming up in the future. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm so, flattered. I've I've heard of you as well. I've been listening into your podcast now since you uh, reached out to me, and uh, yeah, you've you've done some cool things yourself. So it's it's pretty cool. I appreciate uh, that. It yeah. means a lot coming from you. Um, so I think a good place to start would be just kind of explaining. Um, what it was like for you growing up and kind of getting into this world, because I imagine that your path was a little bit different than the average mountain athlete. Yeah, probably. Um, let's see. Um, well, I was born in Wisconsin, um, and then moved down to North Carolina. So that's kind of where I was raised mostly, um, just outside of Asheville. And, um, I guess being in, uh, in the mountains, you know, just when your backyard is the woods, you know, you kind of start exploring. I mean, I remember like being up in Wisconsin, exploring was like going out, like we, you know, we're, we're on a block. So you just like go up and over, hopping over the back fence and you're in somebody else's yard and you're like, oh, this is a whole new world, you know, and you hop over the next fence. You're like, oh, that's crazy. So I guess I've always had that like adventurous kind of spirit, you know, mm -hmm. we'd like explore old broken down garages or whatever. Um, but like, you know, it, I would say um, as far as being outside, like, or, my friend, I always had friends and we never really talked too much about it. Like I just was, I mean, maybe I was the one arm guy to them. I don't know, but 
um, it just kind of was what it was. I was just kind of another kid, yeah. Um, you know, which was kind of cool. And I think that's kind of how my parents raised me. Mm. You know, they didn't, they still expected, you know, me to do chores just like my brother and sister. And um, yeah, I don't know if we ever really talked too much about it, if that makes sense. So I was kind of like, yeah. so it made it easy to integrate and just like maybe do my thing and, and have my interests. Um, you know, I, I got into basketball um, as a kid and loved it and um, just kind of kept wanting to explore that. I did get some pushback from like sure. coaches and people saying like, all right, like you got one arm, like, you know, why don't you go play like soccer or something like mm. that, you know? And did that, it was at birth, so it was kind of from the jump or? Yeah, it was at birth, yeah, okay. yeah. So it's congenital, they don't they don't know what happened, they don't know how it was caused. They link it to like thalidomide, but that was like in the 1930s and 40s, and mm. so who knows? Uh, my mom wasn't on thalidomide, but yeah, so it just kind of was what it was, and you mm. know, it's just like, all right, cool, like, work with what you got and go from there. Um, yeah, so I, I did like maybe pushing against the grain a little bit, you know, like pursued basketball all through high school, made this the varsity team. And, Hell yeah. Um, you know, just really loved it and loved that competitive spirit. And I, I think just, I don't know, it was just something about it. I think Michael Jordan growing up, you know, I right. like watched him and Kobe Bryant and was like that's what I, like I'm gonna do that you know I'm gonna be in the NBA that was like my <laughs> yeah <laughs> after high school I was like okay probably not but um you know I'm too short for that anyway yeah <laughs> we all go through that stage in our life as like you know just like normal white dudes we're like yeah I'm gonna be a professional basketball player <laughs> yeah, right and then one day you know watch some kids slam dunk it when he's like 13 and you're like oh wait I'm, I'm not gonna be <laughs> yeah I'm not gonna be that probably not yeah even on my team kids kids were throwing alley-oops and stuff I'm like yeah okay but I was always the little guy I was like a point guard so I could dribble around people and I was so short and quick that I could like dribble around and dish it out and stuff so you know that was always fun sweet so um but yeah then just kind of I guess uh I started exploring you know sports I think for me also I had some like kind of trouble family life um you know growing up with a, with a alcoholic father mm. um and so sports were kind of my way to get away from that. And then it, I think it just kind of, I loved adventure and I loved pushing myself and I found running and I loved like, I kind of actually loved that it was kind of more me against me mm. and just like, what can I go out and do? Um, and so that's kind of, I just started running and going through the woods and just kind of loved it. So yeah. And it kind of kept me away from a lot of like the stuff going on at home. So um, I think that was probably like a good refuge like that I took, you know. So do you think in that moment that you realized that it was helping mend like some of that um, some of the shittier stuff that was going on? Or was it is that like a retroactive thought that you're, you've now processed through? Um maybe a little bit of both actually like i i think i had a, an inkling like i kind of knew like i mean i was just like like you know i played like one of the reasons i did three sports was because it kind of kept me away from that and um and it kept me like doing pursuing something like physical which i liked and staying out of the wrong crowds and stuff which i didn't want to be a part of um so it gave me some positive experience but yeah i think it was like i did know that i was like I don't want to be a part of that, you know, like, you know, I don't want to be a part of like what's going on at home and just 
be encased in that all the time. I want to be going, have an excuse to, I guess, be out of that. So, for sure. so yeah, I think I did know that. And then, yeah, now I can look back on that and be like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was doing. And it's probably what part of why I do what I do now and, you know, like to pursue my adventures that, that kind of came out. So sweet. Yeah. Well, one adventure in particular that I, want to pick your brain about selfishly that's one of the reasons i have a podcast is because i selfishly get to ask people questions that i want to know the answer to sure is about the the picnic um so if you could just i mean i know loosely about it but if you could just kind of explain it and uh kind of give us your experience with with going through that adventure yeah um let's see so uh, i was in living in Colorado at the time. So after college, I packed my stuff up and just kind of left and ended up in Vail. Um, and I was working for the Forest Service uh, as a wilderness ranger up there. And I think I, I was taking like yearly trips, like up to the Tetons and stuff. You know, I always loved being in the Tetons. I'd worked there in college uh, in the park and um, just fell in love with it. Want, knew like, I was like, this feels like home to me. And uh, so on one of these trips, I was going up there, um, friend of a friend, kind of like we were crashing on his couch and he's like, he's like, dude, have you heard about this thing? It's called the picnic. And he's like, I think like you might be, it sounds like it's kind of like something you'd like to do. And this was probably in, I don't know, 2014 maybe or something like that. Um, and so I, I like immediately like, maybe it was 15 and I immediately like looked, looked it up, you know, did some research on it. Saw the, the original video that the, the guy that made it, David Gonzalez, like he posted a video of it. And I was just like, dude, this looks epic. You know, but I, but I was like, I, I was kind of like, is this possible though? Like, can right. I, can I do something like this? Um, but that was kind of my style. I just kind of threw myself in things like triathlons and stuff when I just wanted to go do something like, so, um, yeah, I guess that's how I found out about it. And it wasn't until I think maybe 20, probably maybe a couple years later, like it just kept sitting with me. It was like yeah. festering, you know, it was just like, I'd be out like working and I'd just be thinking about it, you know, I'd do some more research on it or something. And, um, and then I'd be like, all right, I need, I know I need people to do it with. Mm -hmm. Right. And the cool thing that on David Gonzalez's video is, I don't know if you've seen it, but he, he um, posts, he, he invited a bunch of friend, his friends. I think he did it in like 2011 or 2012, the first year. And then in the next year, he invited a bunch of people to do it with him from mm. Jackson. And so he had like a, a handful of guys do it. And he posted who they were and what their occupation was. And so this guy, I was like, all right, can I contact one of these people to like, because like, so I know somebody's done it and like I can right. go do it with them. So um, I found out this guy this, I landed on this guy Ryan Burke uh, and said he was working at Teton Adaptive Sports and I was like okay cool like I'm an adaptive guy like um, he, that, that sounds kind of perfect like maybe he would be interested in doing it with me so I like called I just picked up the phone called Teton Adaptive was like was like hey I need to get in touch with this guy Ryan Burke like I, I kind of told him a brief like I want to do this thing called the picnic and they're like, uh, we normally don't do stuff like that. I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I, all I need is an email. I just need to get in contact with them. So um, they finally, finally gave me like his, his contact, you know. And so I, I throw him out an email and I'm like, 
hey, dude, I don't know if, like, I, I know you don't know me and I don't know you, but, like, this is what I'm about. This is what I want to do. If you're interested, great. If not, I'll move on to the next guy or something like that. And he, like, just messaged me. He was like, dude, hell yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Let's go do it. So, um, yeah, I think we just started it. We set the date for, like, the next summer. So it would have been, like, yeah, I think it was, like, 2017, I want to say. Um and what all does yeah. the picnic consist of in, in total? Yeah, okay, that's a good question, yeah. Um, so picnic is a, you start, it starts and ends in town square of Jackson. So the idea is to um, start in Jackson, climb the Grand, and come back via basically a mountain triathlon. So you're riding your bike uh, from Jackson 22 miles to Jenny Lake. You swim across Jenny Lake, 1.2 miles, and then you run up the Grand, and you run back down, and then it's about uh, 22 to 24 miles, I think, total with like 7,500 feet of vert, mm. and then you come back to Jenny Lake, swim back across, and bike back. Wow. And it's just, so it's kind of like, however long it takes you, go for it, have fun. It's not like a sanctioned event. Like it's not like everybody shows up on a start line. It's just, you go do it when you want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and that really enticed me. I was like, that's cool. Like that's just like kind of like a, a backyard fun day. Mm -hmm. um, but I was still living in Colorado at the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I drove up to uh yeah i was chatting with ryan on the phone he was kind of giving me some tips and stuff i actually basically created my own picnic uh in vale hmm. um because i was just like trying to train and i was like all right i need to like be able to climb 7500 feet know that i can do that in, in a push and do it like relatively efficiently so i like connected a bunch of mountains together um like behind beaver creek resort hmm. and then like swam nottingham lake did loops there and rode my bike and stuff like that Sweet. so so kind of i was like pretty confident it's a know? really good training ground really good training you ground. Know? yeah like yeah pretty similar conditions overall like similar elevation and altitude and all that kind of stuff totally Weather, yeah weather's probably pretty similar yeah so. yeah definitely yeah, i it was it's was kind of perfect i mean the only difference is like in the tetons it's all just sheer vertical like it's up and down mm -hmm. whereas like you know in colorado it's kind of hard to get that type of vert in one push yeah so you just kind of have to connect you know a handful of mountains or whatever the tetons um, are so bizarre that way the way that it's just like flat and then they just jut out of the ground like yeah like someone put them there almost it doesn't look like a colorado totally. mountain range it's just like this random massive castle of rock on yeah. like a floating meadow it's yep. a very interesting <laughs> like formation it is yeah the way the plates just kind of clashed right there i mean it's just it's wild like the idaho side just went pew, yeah and then the the wyoming side is kind of sinking underneath it and just created this yeah perfect i guess formation or yeah so it's, it's, it's pretty sweet it's it's something that like pictures don't really do justice either i feel like mm. you see the pictures and they're like oh it looks like a mountain that looks pretty cool but then when you get in front of it in real life and you look at the grand you're like whoa that's like awe-inspiring yeah. oh they're like the picturesque mountain i mean i'm sure if you google mountain right now oh, that, like, uh that yeah. house that's or that little like barn thing that sits yep, in the field and that's row. always in the foreground <laughs> yeah totally yep, yep. yeah you see that picture iconic but i yeah, lived up in that area in the truck for a while and it was nice 
it was uh it was freezing cold but i loved yep. every moment of it like it yeah. was just a beautiful place to be were you there for a winter yeah i was there in the winter cool um it was after i was gonna do that in yellowstone just bouncing around in the truck but then yellowstone was closed completely so i just did tetons and i loved it i was like thankful that i ended up spending extra time there nice so yeah it's an epic place yeah I, I rarely even go to yellowstone i mean it's a great park but tetons are just like i mean a lot for a lot of people it's funny because you talk to a lot of people that go through there and they're like they just drive through and that's all it is to them they just for, like tourists that come through right you know, right and they they like yellowstone is the destination right for them mm. to try drive through and stuff and then they just drive past the tetons and they're like awe-inspired but like they don't go back there I'm like dude just like go back in there and yeah it's like a whole nother world it's yeah, amazing spend some time actually like getting to know the place yeah yeah so tell me about the first time you actually did the the picnic what was um i guess leading up to it being an adaptive athlete what kind of concerns did you have because there's i mean there's a lot that can go wrong on an unsanctioned event with this level of complexity yeah uh that's a good question, but I don't know if I really thought about it, honestly. <laughs> like for me, it was just like, okay, I have somebody that wants to do it with me. That's rad. Like maybe for Ryan, it was more of like a, like a, of a thought process there. But yeah. for me, I was just so stoked to have somebody to go with that knew what they were doing, um, at least that, you know, just knows the terrain out there. Um, I had climbed the Grand once before, so I was, I was familiar with it uh, when I was out there in 2011. Um, I had climbed it. So, you know, it wasn't my first time up there, but I definitely just wanted somebody that I knew, like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't have any friends at the time that like would want to do something like that with me, but I just knew I needed a partner. Right. I'm like swimming. I mean, I can't be like, or I felt like being in the middle of this lake, you know, at 3am and just doing that solo i was like i didn't feel too comfortable about that so yeah, i was like yeah so i was like i want to you know and, and also the, throughout the climb like i knew i needed assistance mm-hmm. um you know i mean a lot of people do solo it but um for me with one hand i'm um it's like you know when i climb it i don't i'm feel pretty confident the whole time but there's enough exposure to where i'm like if i if i mess up one move like you know it could it could go pretty poorly what's the rating on the grand like on that top section of the i, I guess it's the owen spaulding route particularly yeah. right yeah so we did the owen spaulding route yeah um what is it like five five maybe or something like that right um, so kind of right on that border of a lot of people's comfortability yeah and i think a lot of it is the exposure that you get mm-hmm. you know there's a couple moves just like a couple moves in there that are like just enough that you're like okay for me personally i'm like it's nice to be on a rope for like there's a chimney section the bell there's a belly roll section the belly roll, right i've seen that parts cool i saw jack quensley practicing that because he was going for the fkt nice uh, this past year yeah and you know just like seeing him meticulously do this move a thousand times just to like because for the fkt the fastest known time you have to do those sorts of moves really efficiently yeah, quickly definitely um so yeah i i got to see some of the strategy that he was imposing and like watching his brain work through all that totally yeah 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 that's something that i i, I i've always had that thought in my mind like i would love to be able to free solo it because it would be so much more efficient right but like just spending the t- going up there like and spending the time to figure out the moves just really dial it in would mm-hmm. be like 
would be really rad to build that confidence. Um, like for me, it's like, I have to dyno so much, you know, it's like every move I have to take off my hand. Wow. And so I really have to think about that because I, you don't have that safety of, you can't have another arm. There's no know, other point hand. of contact. Right. So it's like, I got my feet, but, um, you know, you just really have to be confident with that next move or you have to have good footing or something like that. Yeah. Like the belly roll for me is chill, but the consequence is, is super high, right? It's a death fall, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. You're yeah. looking down like 1500 feet or something. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you just really dialing that in would be sweet, I think, and, and going for it, like maybe doing a solo picnic one day would be cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely want to be super confident on that. So yeah, it's not one of those things that you want to like half-ass and just like, no, find yourself stuck in. <laughs> no. Yeah. And they're out finding even on that. You want to like, just have that, that like, I'm sure for like the FKT, like just figuring out exactly where to go. I mean, like, that's the cool thing about going with, with my buddy Ryan. Um, and he, he introduced me to another guy, Lewis. And so we all, we did it as a, as a threesome there for okay, that cool. day. And it was like the best day ever. We were all like having so much fun, but they've done that route so many times. Like Ryan, he, I think he has the record for number of times doing it in a day, like oh, going wow. up and down the grand, um, which he had just done that summer. Um, yeah, he's done that, that mountain so many times. I think he was going for, he do, he's done it like three times, in like 18 hours or something. He was, wants to do it in like four times or that was a goal of his uh, yeah so uh, he's freaky fit too yeah 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 he is yeah he's, wow. he's a he's a pretty be he's a good beast yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gets after it so, so were there any um any like low points in your first attempt i guess um i guess you know maybe i'm putting words in your mouth or assuming but i would think that biking would kind of be right in your bag um mm -hmm. and then swimming might be a little bit more difficult um, yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, biking is, I wasn't worried about that at all. It's only 44 miles total of biking and it's like pretty flat terrain. Like nice. it goes slightly uphill out of Jackson, but like, yeah, honestly, I've thought about adding more to the bike just because it's mm -hmm. like kind of chill the way back though, can be brutal. Like if you got a headwind, which you, you're if you're coming back in the day, tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when I, I, I got like an energy burst though at the, on the bike the first time I did it though, cause I was wow. so pumped on the day and so stoked anyway. Um, so, so the bike part, not too concerning, but the, the swim, um, um, so that, yeah, that was one that I definitely want, I was training for, for sure. Like I, um, I had done a couple sprint triathlons, so like I knew how to swim. And when I did that, I just kind of like. I had never swam before, like as far as doing laps in a pool. So I just like jumped in a pool and said, we'll figure it out. And I did like, I'm like, oh, I'm a reasonably fit guy. Did like a lap and was like done, <laughs> you know, I was like down and back like once or twice. And I was like, dude, that beat the shit out of me. Um, this was when I was doing my first triathlon. But once you just figure out the rhythm, you know, then you can go. So, um, you know, like I said, uh, when I was training for the picnic, I just kind of would jump in like Nottingham Lake or, or I'd go to the rec center up in Vail and just kind of start cruising and just see if I could put in like an hour of swimming or something like that, you know, or I, and then, um, I really wanted to get some open water experience in. So then I went to Nottingham 
and I would just do like, a, I think a couple laps was like a mile or something. Mm-hmm. So I just make sure I could do a mile at least. Some days I'd do a couple miles um, just to be, just to kind of just make sure, make extra sure I'd be all right for it. Yeah. Um, but I also had a wetsuit, which helps, you know, I had like a, like uh, Zoot Sports. I was raising money for um, Paradox Sports. They're out of Boulder. It's okay. an adaptive climbing organization. Cool. And so through that, I got connected with Zoot uh, an ultimate direction for that one. And, and they gave me gear and Zoot gave me like this super thick, um, triathlon swimming, um, uh, wetsuit. So Sweet. I was like super warm. It was nice. Yeah. <laughs> I still have it. And I still, <laughs> I still use that one. It's, it's got some rips in it and I got, I've, I've patched up, but it's like, it's awesome. Solid. So, yeah. That's, uh, I don't know. It's quite the undertaking. Like it's definitely on my list, but I can't even imagine like, um, I don't know, just being an adaptive athlete and it's not the, it's not like the power output or anything like that. It's just the problem solving. There's just little problems that you would have to solve along the way that, you know, normal people wouldn't even think about. Um, I don't know, little things, maybe even like transitions, like transitioning from a wetsuit to dry clothes in order for the hike. Yeah. I always say the transitions are like another, it's like another event in itself for me. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It can be (laughs) kind of brutal, especially after coming down from like the grand, you know? Um, So either, either I'll have a buddy to, I'm like, dude, just take this thing, (laughs) like rip this thing off. Um, Or I'll, I'll fiddle with it, you know, and just like, yeah, I have like some maneuvers that I do, like some kind of techniques that I use to, to help get it off. But man, yeah, that's no easy way about it. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy with two, two either. Yeah, I you know. know. Even and if you have when you're cold and stuff. It, yeah. Um, so I do, I do definitely have to think. I think more about that, those kind of things. Like whenever I'm in the mountains, like especially in the winter time. But yeah, um, yeah the, how the cold affects my body and how dexterity is affected i mean like i just went on a run this morning up in the mountains in frisco and like came back and i could barely use my hand you know right i'm like it's like stuff i always have to think about you know because if i lose this thing i'm kind of sol right like what else do i got my legs i guess i can you know hopefully they can get me out yeah (laughs) teeth yeah oh i use my teeth yeah 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 i've been up on mountains before where i can't use my hand and i gotta like couldn't zip up my jacket so cold and like put my helmet on, put my, just my hood over my helmet because I couldn't buckle it. I'm just like a mess, but it's like, well, that's what I got. So here we go. Leads to creative solutions. I'm sure that other people wouldn't think of. For sure. Yeah. Like flipping your jacket up and pulling the, uh, the zipper with your teeth and stuff. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of little tricks you can learn, but. Um, and so what would you say like the, the picnic that was, um, you said what, like 20, 15 what did you say when did you do that one uh, i think it was 2017 was my first one i've done a couple t- uh, done it a couple times and on top of that you've done like a ton of crazy stuff another one it's interesting we have like a lot of the same endurance list because hmm. lauren and i have been talking about um whether or not lead man is the in the cards for this year okay and i saw that you had also done lead man which yeah. is like kind of an obscure thing for people who aren't in this world but the mm-hmm. fact that we've both had our eyes on that and, and you've done that as I thought it was an interesting coincidence. Oh, you should do it. It's yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It, it's definitely like, you know, it, it, I guess it takes up kind of your summer because you're doing the, the marathon, the 50 mile biker run, hundred mile run and uh, well, 10 K run, hundred mile bike and then hundred mile run. Um, 
but it, yo, dude, it's so fun. Like the community around it is awesome. The other pe- like the other lead men and women doing competing, or you just kind of get to know them in these races and stuff. And mm. it's like it's there's like a camaraderie there. It's so fun, and uh, it's just fun to kind of like push your body. Yeah, in that event, I, like I had done the Leadville, uh, the hundred miler the year before, mm. and then signed up for the lead man the next year. And, um, the one thing I was like, I know I can do the running. I've done it. That's cool. But the, the mountain bike was like, man, that was like my tricky. I don't know if I can do it or not because mm. having one hand on the handlebar, I don't have a prosthetic that I use. So I just, so the other handlebar is just empty. Yep. Wow. It's just chilling. I'm like, I mean, I'm on a gravel bike. I literally took a hacksaw and sawed it off because it kind of gets in the way. Huh. Um, so, so a, do you have this, uh, then your right hand, is it more centered? That's a great question. I didn't have the wherewithal to do that because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I like got my mountain bike like a couple, two, maybe three weeks before the event. Okay. I'd never really mountain bike before. Wow. So I like- What a savage. I mean, I, I had like a grant to get a bike and it took like forever for it to get in. So I was like, just like, you know, like, come on, come on. And it finally came in. And so I just started like, I was living um, in Minturn at the time. So mm-hmm. I would like bike up Meadow Mountain and then- uh, I was near Leadville. So one of my weekends, I think like the weekend before the race, I was like, I just need to make sure that I can do some of these descents with one hand. So I went and I did like that day, I think I, t- I did all of the technical descents of the race just to make sure I could do them. Yeah. Um, so that was nice. I could kind of preview the course. Um, I, f- I flew over the handlebars at one point. I was like out there on my own and <laughs> flew over the handlebars. Oh I, was like, well, I was just thinking to myself, like, what the hell am I getting myself into? So I assume on a mountain bike, then you would only have a rear brake. No, I flip them. Um, oh, you flip them. So yeah. Uh, so you, I just took the left handlebar and I flipped it over. Um, it's kind of tricky with that because it depends on the, the parts, if it works, if it works, how well it works rather. Like Shimano, I found it's not so um, compatible with flipping upside down because mm. where uh, the piston is, like the once your brake fluid goes past a certain point, they stop working. SRAM parts do work, but I had Shimano on my my mountain bike. Um, not to knock Shimano or anything, just saying that's how it is. Hate <laughs> you guys. Uh, yeah, right. But uh, that yeah. So, um, but it it did work for the for the purpose of this event. You know, it's short enough that it was okay. So I, I use my uh, middle finger for the rear brake, my uh, index finger for the front brake, and then it's it's a one by mountain bike. So uh, levers, the gear shifter was right there. I even had a drop post I could oh, flip. Nice. So that was really cool. Sick. Um, I knew I needed like a good setup. Like I was like, I want a full squishy bike, you know, and I want the a seat post drop that you know because. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into here. And, um, but it was, it was rad. It was super fun. Um, it was hard, you know, a a lot of it, my plan is, I'm a pretty solid uphill guy. So, uh, my plan was like, all right, just hammer, hammer, hammer all the uphills. And Mm. on the flats, like you have to go basically balls of the wall, like just go. And then on the downhills, I knew I had to coast. Like I had to chill because that's super sketchy for me. Yeah. So I'm just basically like pumping the brakes, you know, I mean, going 15 miles an hour, you know, people are like zooming by me, but, um, that was kind of my plan. But then you get to the race, um, and I was near the back. And so 
all the people in front of you. I didn't really take that into account. So you get to like the first climb and all of a sudden it's like a standstill. Oh no. And I'm like, oh no. So I'm like waiting in line. There's like two lines going, but because everybody just hauls ass like from the start, right? Right. And then they get to the first climb and they're like, oh, this is hard, you know? And then they like slow down. Some people even like, I think get off their bikes and stuff. And I'm so I'm like sitting back here like, oh no, my plan is shot. You know, I'm like on an uphill here. And this I'm, was my spot to yeah, pump. Yeah. And I'm literally standing here. <laughs> yeah, and I'm standing here. I'm like, this sucks. But, um, you know, lo and behold, we started moving and I was like, all right, well, do what you can. That's all you can do. So I uh, got up that first climb and then did the down to I think uh, Turquoise Lake around. And then the next climb, I think it's, is it Sugar uh, Sugarloaf? I can't remember the next the next pass. That Sounds one was, right. was wide enough, a little bit more rocky and stuff. So I could just blaze by people. I was like passing people left and right. Like, all right, cool. Now I'm in my zone. Got to um, power line. Oh, another thing I scout when I scouted, I marked points that were too technical that I was like, okay, I can ride this when it's on my own, but I like need the whole kind of width of the course to go mm. or to make it work. Cause the lines, you know, are crossing side it's, to side. Exactly. Whereas like I knew people were going to be bombing, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to hop off my bike yeah. and just run, you know, I'm good at running. So I'll just do that. So I like call it like our power line. I literally just like got to the top knew he just like was like, all right, hopped off the bike, went off way to the side and just grabbed my, the saddle and just sprinted down the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I had like two or three other markers along the course where I knew like, I don't want to crash in anybody. I don't want to kill anybody. I don't want to kill myself. So I'm sure. just going to like hop off, grab the saddle and sprint. And so that's kind of, that's kind of what I did. Um, and it worked out really well. Yeah. yeah I mean, on a mountain bike, it's like this you think of running versus biking like on a road sense like obviously the biking is gonna be so much faster but on really technical mountain trails it's like you know the speed differential between running and biking totally. shrinks right so i mean i don't know if that's like not kosher for a mountain bike race but i don't know i was like whatever dude i'm just gonna do it so like columbine getting down that like parts of that i could do like parts of it coming down but parts of it i was just like all right this is where mentally i just knew like this is the spot i'm just gonna hop off and run with it and um yeah so i was just sprinting there just holding my bike and running and i was kind of yeah like you're saying i was kind of keeping up with people like that were biking it so right yeah that's awesome what was the experience like in terms of the the mountains and the nature and getting to know that area because you know, a lot of people come there for one race, maybe in their lifetime, mm. you're doing five races in a summer. Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, from Minturn where I was living at the time, it's like a 40, is it 40 miles or something like that. Like I had done like the, the triangle loop, copper triangle, Leadville triangle, whatever you want to call it, like, um, the road loop. Mm. So I was like familiar on my bike. So I was familiar with, um, uh, Leadville a little bit. And I had actually working for the forest service. I had serviced some of the trails out there as well and helped out their crew. So I was like familiar with the area, but I hadn't really explored like the mines and stuff like that. Like the, like the marathon and the 50 mile kind of take you through, which was really cool. Mm. Um, so what you run like <clears throat> through the earth, like in no, the shafts or no, something? you just see them. You can't, you're you kind of, yeah, you're passing them. Gotcha. Yeah. Which was like, which was really cool. There's a bunch of roads and accesses like these old, like, uh, dilapidated 
houses and stuff that wow. they used in all these mine shafts. So, yeah, it's an interesting story with all those old mining towns, like the massive influx of people, and then the well dries up, and mm-hmm. then it becomes kind of like alcoholism and a generation of like despair and then right. a lot of people leave and then at some point it becomes cool again yeah and like an influx totally. of money comes back and <laughs> now right. it's like really cool so i don't know it just seems like there's quite a few of those towns in colorado like growing mm-hmm. up in the east it was like towns are towns forever like they not that many people come not that many mm-hmm. people leave but yeah when you're talking about mining towns they have such a dramatic shift in population and in um, just like economic growth that happens so rapidly. Totally. I mean, yeah, like Leadville was almost at the brink of like extinction as a town, I guess. And then it you know, was revitalized by these race series and things. Right. So, um, yeah, definitely some pretty cool history there. Pretty wild. And now it's like, seems to be pretty flourishing. Like, yeah, it's pop- and it's expensive now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've looked at land there for the last three years and yep. like, I couldn't afford it three years ago and I still can't <laughs> totally. afford it now. <laughs> oh, I, I was doing the same thing back in the day. Yeah, because a lot, I mean, a lot of people were like, you like living there and commuting to Vail and stuff for work. And I was always like, ah, I don't want to do the drive. But then, but then you get to a point where you're like, well, you kind of have to, if you want to live here. So, but then when I was looking at it, I'm like, ah, oh, it's getting too expensive out there too. So it's crazy. Yeah. So there was a, another, um, endurance event that you did after Leadville, um, that I wanted to ask you about, which is this high, low um, highest lowest yeah uh-huh. uh adventure and i we were i don't know if you saw it yesterday we have like a we well it's just like that it's a 365 calendar where it shows every day you know you kind of got your different endurance things or mountain trips or backpacking or whatever and mm-hmm. kind of planning those out and i was trying to think of some cool unique things that i wanted to do for next year and when i was doing my research for this episode i saw this and i was like wow what a cool idea to go from the lowest point to the highest point on every continent in the world. I mean, that's like, yeah, that's like a lifetime mission and a lifetime yeah. commitment to totally. do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of the spark for that, a buddy of mine, um, Andre, he is another adaptive athlete. He has no legs. He was uh, wow. run over by a train when he was in college. Holy crap. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just woke up in the hospital, no legs. And so his life was kind of changed. Uh, but he's been at that. He, that was when his 20s. I think he's in his 40s now. So he's been doing that for a while. But he he got into a um, bunch of endurance events when after that happened to kind of like take his mind off, give him a new kind of life drive. And he got into a lot of endurance things. And he became quickly became one of the top um, endurance athletes in the world. Um, in his category and I met him on a fundraiser event it's a bike ride from San uh, San Francisco to San Diego um, with Challenge Athletes Foundation and um, we just started chatting you know and he's like he's like dude I got this thing going on and uh, you might be like you might be interested in it and so it was kind of like his thing his like kind of baby project and then I was i I was like, learned about it. And I was like, dude, yeah, that sounds amazing. And then he recruited another guy, Muhammad, who was born kind of like my left arm, but in his right leg. So he's got a, like a short leg that leads to a foot, but it's only goes down about where your knee would be. Okay. 
Um, and he's also an athlete. He's a Paralympian. Is that the same disease or does that have a different no, name? No. Yeah. I don't know exactly what he, what it is, but, uh, yeah, it's something different. Something different. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we all connected and, uh, we're all like into doing like, like, uh, Muhammad had done like this, that crazy event, um, in, uh, uh Sahara desert. I can't remember what it's called. It's like a crazy like multi-day stage event where they have like camels chase you and if you get passed by the camels then you're out (laughs) wait yes 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 i it's an ultra run yes i know Um, exactly what you're talking about. what is that one called but yeah so we and he completed that so we're like all right like he's legit we know he's legit yeah and um um so yeah so we all just kind of formed this team and um i didn't really know like i didn't hear from andre for a little bit and then he gave me a call in 2019 i think it was like november it was like right when i moved to jackson and he's like he's like dude do you want to do this like i'm I'm thinking about doing like south america this year or it's like one other uh, i think it was south america europe or something and i was like yeah when do you want to do it he's like like january or something like december january and i was like dude, it's like November right now. <laughs> like, like, do we have, like, what do we got to, like, we got to plan for this thing. So he's like, yeah. So we just like went into hyper mode. Um, I went to, I was ski instructing at the time up there still. So doing that and then just would spend like all day planning, you know, for, for this adventure. And we ended up going to South America and uh, we ended up doing it in February. Mm-hmm. Kind of funding and things came together like the last second. I mean, like, as I guess a lot of times it happens. But like, I mean, we didn't have plane tickets until like the week before. Wow. All of a sudden we got funding and we're like, all right, sweet, let's go do it. And uh, flew down there and um, yeah, flew by the seat of our pants the entire time. But it worked out. Yeah, we, we were able to go from Laguna del Carbon, which is in southern Argentina, um, we had some uh, locals that kind of we met and they helped us out to get to the the lowest point because we found out we like flew into Buenos Aires and then drove like 30 hours south and uh, found out it was a part of this private property like energy company <laughs> was the oh, lowest no. point. <laughs> and we're like, how do we get in? And these these locals, this mountain local mountain bike group was like, oh, like, we'll show you how. So we had to sign like these waivers and they opened these big gates and we were able to bike like 15 miles in is it like a crater like i'm imagining it's like... a big dried up lake it's like okay. a lagoon yeah and it's all it's basically dried up but it's like negative 300 and something feet 341 feet or something like that so crazy that that doesn't have water in it i know it's, i don't we we like rode our bikes out on it and then came back and um started our trip yeah and dro- rode right back out to the road and um riding and then we're on a 2000 something mile ride to get to the base of Aconcagua. Wow. And that was mostly like a, a road bike from this lowest to the highest point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, we had gravel bikes just in case we were dominantly on road. Like we originally had a plan to go through Chile and like had its epic, uh, route planned by all these lakes and stuff. But, um, you know, the Aconcagua can be kind of tricky. I found, especially at the end of the season, because the government would like shut it down and it was different every year. And so I had read a bunch of things and I kind of like, was like, okay, I I think I know it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be this date that they're gonna shut down. So we need to be, meaning we had to be on the mountain by that date. 
otherwise nobody's getting on the mountain because of the winter conditions right yeah so the permits are only good for that i think you can get a winter permit but it's a lot more hoops to jump through yeah um and all the guides are off the mountain that's like the end of their season so we were like okay we have to be on the mountain by this time so okay we had enough we were like we have if we ride such x amount of miles a day we'll get there and we can do this cool route through chile but then um, we found out that like it was a, I was talking with some of the guides and they're like, um, no, it's actually this date. And it was like six days before what I, what we thought that it was going to be. Mm. And I was like, oh shoot. So it, we had to basically beeline it there. So we went straight through the desert of Argentina Oh wow! <laughs> instead of going this epic route through Chile. We just like, and, and the wind was just crazy. Uh, there was like a turning point where there's, there's one day where we're like, if we can crank out like 150 miles a day and like get over to Chile, then like may, I think we can do it. But the wind was so bad and we had to turn left, which mean went, we went west and the prevailing wind was coming from the west. So we're just getting hammered and we're just going like turning into the wind. Yeah, we're going eight miles an hour max. And so we're like, ain't going to work. So we had to turn around and just go, we had a, like an alternate route plan that just went straight north through Argentina, through the desert. Okay. And so that's what we ended up doing. Did you guys run into any like unsafe conditions just being, I don't know, um, three tourists? No, no, the, the people were super nice. Like we had a great experience while we were in Argentina. Like, I mean, even riding on the roads, I felt, and it was, I mean, at times it was a busy road. Most of the time we were in the middle of nowhere, like maybe 200 miles of the next town. And all it was, was a little gas station with a little house next to it. And that's, okay. all, that's all it was. Um, but uh, the people like truckers and cars, they would give us such a wide berth. Like, you know, like they would, they would slow down and make sure no traffic was coming and then go around you. Wow. So we felt like super safe. Like I've biked across the U.S. before. It is not like, And it's not like that, man. No. I mean, you're like gripping, you know. Um, but, but yeah, in Argentina, it was like felt great, honestly. Um, the people were super nice. Um, we didn't have our foundation set up at the time. And we actually got the idea. Uh, we set up a foundation to help um, people with disabilities and communities that we travel through. We, we stopped at this restaurant um, and this guy, most restaurants are just like, do you want food or not? We're like, yes. And so they bring you just whatever they have and it's great. like, yeah. And Perfect. it's like sweet. Yeah, a bunch of meat, yes. but lots of meat, but it was great. So um, that's exactly what we needed. And, uh, but the, the owner of the place like showed us a picture of his granddaughter and she had like a condition much like my arm, but in both arms and her legs. Whoa. Um, and she was like, had a, it was a beautiful singer, you know, she was singing a song and, uh, you know, they, um, I, it could tell like it was, it, it was kind of hard for their family to support her though, but they, they loved her just the same, you know, and they, they did support her, but it was, is it's hard for them to find resources for her. Yeah. You know, there's more of, of a, there's more of a stigma around that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely is. I mean, I think in ways the U S is a, a bit far and beyond what like we still have a ways to go but there's yeah other countries are it's like there's a can be huge stigmas associated with that yeah you can even see in america's last 50 years or so how far mm-hmm. we've come because like it was not always that way that america was <clears throat> accepting my uh yeah. nephew has cp and so he's gone through a lot of different special programs and 
I'm always impressed by the amount of resources that are available, but then you mm -hmm. kind of look historically and that was not always the case. It was kind of like those folks were left behind and banished and, yep. you know, nobody really gave a shit and just kind of totally ignored it. They were like the basement kids, you know, yeah. or the, the weird person that lives down there, whatever, like, yeah, banished from families. Like it's crazy. Wild. Um, I mean, I was born the year the ADA came and it came to be. So that was Americans with Disabilities Act. That was in 1990. Okay. Um, so it was like few weeks or what was it i can't remember what month it was i think it was a few weeks after i was born that it, wow. that it came to be so yeah that's like within my lifetime that people are getting more rights i feel like i've been i'm a pretty like to have a disability i i like in that sense i'm pretty privileged and 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 blessed because um normally it, my condition is a is bilateral so it would affect two at least two limbs if not all four huh. um but for some reason it only affected my left arm interesting so for me i can i can kind of navigate the world at least you know i mean sure i get pushed back here and there and social stigmas whatever have you but i can still I can still perform everyday tasks, you know, like I can figure things out, you, you know, kick people's ass in a race. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. No, uh, but, um, you know, so, so I'm, I'm very fortunate that I can do that though. You know, whereas like, uh, you know, if you have a different disability, like a mobility disability or something like that's, that's a different realm, you know, like you need, you're, you're reliant on care and you're reliant on, access you know for me it was more like oh does this guy or girl think i can do this oh i'm gonna go show them that i can like that mm. was a lot of my life force is like i'm gonna go sh prove this person wrong but i can do that right because i don't mm. i like I don't, I don't really need much to do that i just need this spirit of yeah let's go do it you know um versus somebody like that little girl who might have a harder time getting to that place right yeah totally and, and especially like where she doesn't have an area like that where she doesn't have access you know to um to funding or things like that so um so it was a mixture of that interaction and then muhammad's story he was, he grew up in morocco mm -hmm. and he has a very similar kind of story where he didn't have access to proper care um he he like attached a stick to his to his leg to Whoa. his foot and he was like a soccer player and he got picked on and stuff you know it was just so taboo to have a disability and um and he would but he would just attach yeah sticks literal sticks and stuff to his to be a, a, a leg you know um and then he started he found cycling i think somebody brought him into cycling and um and he's become a beast since then i mean he's in the he's on the Paralympics, you know, racing for you at team USA, um, mm. one going one leg, like he's, yeah, he's a powerhouse. That's crazy. But, um, yeah. So like it was a mixture of, of there, those two stories that were like, Hey, what can we do? Cause we're utilizing resources here. Like, you know, we are part of our mission is we would, we do want to change that, those stigma, social stigmas. Cause we've all like been through that um in some way shape or form and we want we want to change those perceptions we also just want to do something we like to do which is like create an adventure and go have fun and, and push ourselves to go do it but like um yeah we're like well what impact can we have so um how can we help people out so that was kind of part of that and so we created our uh, the lowest highest foundation to to serve people with disabilities that don't have access mm -hmm. so mainly third world countries is what kind of our target areas are 
and that'll be cool because you guys are eventually going to be embarking on you know six more continents right and you know probably meeting a tremendous amount of people along the way who have encountered those same sort of roadblocks and Mm -hmm. can you know share your guys own stories and um adaptations and different things that you use to get where you are definitely yeah yeah Yeah, everybody was was super stoked that we were in argentina i mean there were there were some towns we went to there was always like whenever there was like an op like something that we didn't know about like maybe a um a challenge or like a, a danger i guess like we would meet random people that just helped us, you know, like for example, like when we getting to the lowest point, like that community was so stoked. We were there, they were waiting for us, like gave us like these gifts and like brought, like we biked out with them. They were so happy that we were there and they were so excited for our journey. And then like, we'd go through like a town and somebody like one time we saw this other cyclist just riding and he came up next to us and he's like, where are you guys, like, where are you guys heading? We're like, well, the plan is to go right through here and, you know, because we have to, we're going north. And he's like, oh, well, like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Like, you're going through some pretty sketchy spots. So he, like, took us around this back way and, like, we made it around this little town. And, uh, yeah, it worked out just fine. So, wow. So, like, we would have, like, help like that. Um, but everybody was, we'd get honks all the time and waves. I mean, you know, people were stoked. Um, I think with like Andre, like he's much more visible than like Muhammad or I, as far as like having a, a disability on a bike. So, mm-hmm. cause he's on a hand cycle, right? So he's right. down low. So like that, maybe that visual helps too. Um, and so people were just like, they were so friendly and, and nice. But. Yeah. Maybe it's like a little bit disarming, right? Like you see, um, somebody on a hand bike without legs, you know, really out there working and like giving their all to it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like who could in their right mind like hate on that yeah yeah for sure totally and then they like you know sometimes we'd get stopped by people and they like give us water or something and just want to hear about our story and stuff and yeah people were were very excited even in the broken spanish that we could we could say you know sometimes people didn't always speak english so right we did what do morocco do moroccos moroccans speak moroccan french oh. and uh is it Morocco? uh i think there is it a moroccan i can't remember right he speaks muhammad speaks like three different or four different languages wow well that'll help um, on the other continents maybe yes yeah <laughs> totally yeah because there's like I don't know, French came into Morocco, I think they owned it or something. So anyway, a lot of languages are there. So he knows he's very fluent, except for Spanish. Gotcha. <laughs> Andre knew, knew the most Spanish. And then we just kind of picked it up as we went kind of yeah. thing. But uh, I knew a little bit before, but uh, enough to maybe get in danger. But So I imagine the trip wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. I know, you know, I don't know exactly how high it is, but imagine the highest point in south america is what 20 22,800 feet i think is what it is uh aconcagua yeah so just below 23k so talk to me about that climb as i mean yeah i guess for you biking is kind of in your wheelhouse but so actually for me biking was the hardest part um oh, really because we had a, a a crazy crosswind so i probably had the hardest time on the bike than anybody because oh, the stability like the side to side yes and normally um and it hurts my back too so normally when i'm riding like especially endurance i'll 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 do a lot of off the handlebars just no handlebars just kind of so i can sit back cool kid um, cool kid bike yeah just exactly just, just chilling you know yeah but it relieves my back pressure and if i can't do that 
then all of a sudden it keeps building and building and then to the point where I'm like, my back is starting to seize up and I can't move anymore. So I would basically ride until that point happened. And then I would just be like, all right guys, I got to hop off. So I ho- would hop off the bike and just stretch it out. And mm-hmm. then, and then we could hop back on and keep going. They, they even got to a point where Muhammad and Andre were creating, like trying to create wind barriers, you know, like the roads were pretty sparse. So like we could kind of ride three abreast if we wanted to sometimes. So like Andre would be out in front, Muhammad would be on my, or he'd be like on my front wheel. So I'd get less like shape wobbles. Muhammad would be stacking him. So, so just to block that crosswind, cause mm-hmm. it was, ju- we were going North and the, the wind just went west to east every day i mean pound same thing every day it was probably i think there were out of i think we we biked for like 14 days and um i think maybe two or three of those days did we have a, a tailwind and that was from the lowest to the highest that's like the kind of middle part of the section yeah so the lowest like we we went basically we we were on like the eastern part of argentina this road that just kind of goes kind of near the coast um, just straight north. Gotcha. Yeah. And how long was the whole journey? I think it was something something around two thousand miles biking, and then um, the and then climbing Aconcagua. Took we were on the mountain for like I want to say two, it twelve or thirteen days or something like that. Wow. So the last the ascent took twelve or thirteen days alone. Right. Yeah. Because um, a barrier with Andre is that doing like the traditional acclimatization of like going up, coming down and going up, coming down. He goes through so much wear and tear, not only on his gear, but his body. So he's like, he, cause he, he goes hand over hand. Um, he had a mountain chair developed that he could push on the lower section, like a wheelchair. Okay. So he's on a hand bike, but then when oh, yeah. you get at a certain point of technicality, he switches over to like a mountain wheelchair. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So basically when we hit the trailhead to the mountain, switches over to the, the, the uh, wheelchair. wheelchair and then he can, and this thing's got like bigger tires on it, I assume. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah it's almost like uh like mountain bike tires, but in a wheel and it's got like, I think it's gotten some, maybe some extra stability up front, like longer wheels or something. Okay. But, um, yeah, so he can navigate like a trail with it, but then when it gets too technical for that, he hops off, mm. um, and then it's just hand over hand just walking on his hands yeah like a like a monkey walk kind of yep just hand over hand he's got like a nub like a um i don't know maybe eight inches of his right thigh okay um so he can kind of like he puts like a uh carbon fiber encasing over that to protect it and he just kind of hobbles over it you know pushes himself up and over and so you know his his hands are his feet so if he has gloves on you know think about like he has to, he had like stitched reinforcing in his gloves that he, he did himself and like wow. would blow through them, you know, and then yeah, they're going to tear up so fast. Yeah. I mean, they're not shoes he's got on. Um, and then I would just grab his wheelchair behind me and I would, I would pull it behind me on those sections. And then whenever he could, he'd hop back on, mm. but we did that. Uh, like we, we went up to like Confluencia, which is at like 11,000 feet. And that's our first camp. And, um, Maha- both, neither Muhammad and Andre are, really i would say mountain athletes or they weren't they didn't have more endurance just like pure endurance definitely endurance yeah but like not so much in the mountains so i was kind of the mountain guy so i kind of like was the guy to get like i'm the guy that kind of gets the mountain pieces together the woodsmanship yeah and so they they had a rough go for sure like muhammad especially he was like vomiting profusely at the first camp and stuff like oh man so we had to spend like an extra day there and then we went up to base camp 
which is at like 14.5 or 14.3 or something. And uh, did the same deal. Like Andre could push a little bit on the wheelchair, but um, yeah, I just dragged it behind me and then got up to base camp and uh, we spent a number of days there so Andre could get acclimated. You know, our, our idea was just more time, Yeah. you know, and, and that would kind of help, you know, him acclimate, which kind of worked um, until it, until we ran out of time, honestly, because we had to get off the mountain um, eventually. So Andre made it up to camp three, uh, was feeling pretty sick, but where he was like, I don't feel like I'm not like, uh, you know, I don't need to go down. Like I can fight this, like work this out for a little bit. And like, but then a storm was coming in. So we kind of had to make the decision to either go or not. Mm. And at that point we just didn't have enough time on the mountain. How far was the push to the summit from camp three? Um, we did it in a day. I can't remember exactly how far it was. Like one full day effort. Yeah, I think so. I think camp three or sorry, camp two, we were at camp two. We didn't do camp three because okay. it's pretty high. Camp two, I want to say is at like, is that 16 or maybe it's 18. Still really high. It might be 18. Um, and then we're going to almost 23. So in that push, so Muhammad and I went, Muhammad was still like vomiting profusely, like feeling bad, but, he, but whenever he would move, he was like feeling okay. So he's like, all right, man, I'm going to try it. <laughs> so, so we were like, all right. So we decided to make the push. We didn't want to leave Andre behind. And that was a big decision too, but we're like, all right, well, we're here. We got, this is all the time we got before the storm. Let's make it, make it happen. What so. was what was his mindset when he realized that he wasn't going to make the summit push with you guys? Was he kind of like go on without me, or was he like, oh, I want to totally. do this? Or? No, he was like, like we gave him more push. But we're like, I'm like, dude, we're here as a team. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if I feel comfortable going without. Like, if you aren't going, like, I don't care. I don't need to go. Like, I don't need to prove anything by getting to the summit. Like, let's just all go down and call it a day. Like, I've enjoyed this thoroughly we're out chilling in the mountains it's great that's what i like to do but andre was pretty adamant he's like no dude we started this thing like we want to like let's get it done we came two thousand freaking miles like yeah somebody's got to touch the summit so um so he was really adamant about us going up and him staying himself staying back so did you guys film this we do have some film yeah we have some we so we had a buddy an amateur filmer come along with us for the bike portion um, he also climbed with us. Um, he made it as far as Andre did. And then we had um, another buddy, a Nat Geo filmer, come um, and uh, meet us at camp, at base camp. And he was with us um, until camp three, or sorry, camp two. Um, but he also got altitude, he got altitude wow. sickness and he, he had just come down from filming, I think in Patagonia and then quickly, I mean, he's a, he's a, also a phenomenal athlete, but he just quickly came up to camp too, a little too fast. A little too fast. And then, uh, so he filmed us along, or, around the camp and then he filmed us like kind of saying goodbye. And then, and then Muhammad and I were out. <laughs> so he actually ended up having to get airlifted out. Oh my um, God. Yeah. That was a bummer. Um, and then, uh. And then uh, Muhammad and I summited. We got a, a little bit of the summit on the on film with our iPhones, but uh, the other all everybody else was just feeling too bad. <laughs> you know, the other filmer like he was also had some altitude sickness going on, so they all decided to 
to call it quits there. How was the summit push? Did you guys like have a good day out or great day? I mean, phenomenal. Like I don't think we could have asked for better on Aconcagua. Well, that's like such a good exclamation point on like that, but tail end of a bunch of people getting sick. Totally. Yeah. It was really nice. I mean, yeah. Wind was super minimal, if not existent, which is like super what? rare in Aconcagua. At 23,000, you're <laughs> yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was barely anything. Like we had these big puffies and I'm like, I don't even need this thing. Um, I mean, we, yeah, we, we couldn't have been more more fortunate. I mean, like we, and we were the last ones on the summit for that season. That's crazy. Everybody else was off the mountain. All the other guides were gone. Like, you know, it was like base camp was a skeleton at that point. So we just got to share it together and, um, yeah, it was it was a really cool moment though. And yeah. thinking about like the timing, like that's shoulder season too. It's not like you guys were even in like peak climbing season mm-hmm. for twenty three thousand. Like it could have been any yep. <laughs> number yeah. of situations totally. up there, and yeah. you guys just happened to have this like bluebird day. Yeah, I guess they had a late snow that year too. So like there was no snow crossing. It was like the probably the least technical it could have been. I mean, we did the normal route, um, so just a walk up basically. I mean, a little bit of scrambling here and there. Um, but it's like, yeah, it was totally fine. Uh, amazing day. Like Muhammad had a, still had a massive push because he's not used to being up so high. I was the only one used to being at altitude. Mm. Um, I started feeling it around maybe 22 K or so. So not far from the summit. Um, but, um, yeah, it was great. And you guys, I assume probably took more than one day to get down after that just because yeah we came pretty rough i think muhammad and i came back down to camp two and spent the night and then the next day we packed up and went and met the met everybody else at base camp okay spent a night there and then the next day we packed up and left nice so yeah it more was, uneventful was on the way down no <laughs> so, so uh we had a celebratory like meal like our guides had had uh this meal prepared for us and we're like, oh, sweet. Yeah. You know, it was like chicken. Right. Um, one thing I've learned is in our places in Argentina is like certain meats you don't want to eat because yeah. they don't, it's just not formal for them to eat it. Like beef is very like ham, but, um, chicken is not one of those things. It's, um, and so wait, you're saying like culturally they don't want you to eat beef or ham? No, they just don't eat it a lot. They I don't guess. Eat yeah. It. As far as I know, but they do eat, they do eat ham and beef but chicken, not a lot of, and I don't know if that was part of it or not, or played a, a part, but, um, we had a chicken meal for a celebratory meal at base camp. And then I got food poisoning. And so on the way down, we start hiking down and, uh, like midway through the day, I'm just like feeling really rough. And I'm like, what is going on? Like we're going down. I should be feeling better. Right. And all of a sudden I turn around and just projectile vomit, like, just uh, Andre, I think has this on on film because he had like he was like with his GoPro like filming the scenery, and all of a sudden he like pans over to me, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god! So, so I was like, oh man, I felt better after that, but uh, so I keep walking, and I'm like carrying a good bit of weight on my back, and I just keep walking, and all of a sudden like an hour later or something, again I'm like feeling I'm like starting to kind of stumble, and Muhammad is 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 with me, and I just like again projectile vomit and muhammad was like we had actually had a little arguing fit because he's like dude let me take the gear i'm like no man you're fine i'll be all right but he's like dude like he was like fucking take off your back and give it to me because i was like i was like stumbling around i'm like all right all right because like you know for him it's like he puts in so much work to to like 
downhill for him is really hard with his prosthetic leg because his okay. knee doesn't lock. So it like it could it kind of give out, you know. So I didn't want to like give him a bunch of weight, you know. That's why I had a bunch of weight. But he's like, dude, give it to me. So I I gave it him, and I'm just like. I just start, I had like picked up a stick and I was like stumbling, like walking like a zombie, you know? And, uh, and then we like go, like we meet up with Andre who was ahead of us with, uh, with another guy, the camera guy, uh, Brian. And, uh, they look at me, they see me. They thought I was a different person (laughs) because I was like way out of it. I had thrown up like three or four times at this point. I don't even know how I had that much in me. Um, was totally depleted, dehydrated. We get down to the camp one to Confluencia at 11K, and I'm crawling at this point. Oh, no. I had to crawl into the ranger station. We're only like four miles from the base of the mountain, but I had to crawl into the ranger station. I was like pleading for like water, but even when I drank, I would throw throw it right back up. And I was feeling so out of it. And then Andre comes in. He's like, dude, I'm feeling pretty shitty now too like he got some some of it too so we ended up this was the last we had to make a decision because this was the last day the mountain was open and they're like you guys got to get the hell out of here so we had to call a flight yeah those guys trying to go home (laughs) yeah yeah, Yeah. everybody's trying to go home and get out and this was the very last day we could have gotten a a helicopter out so we're like either we do it or we got to somehow get down and i mean i'm crawling at this point so i'm like I mean, I guess if that's the option. So we had to call a helicopter to get us out from there. Four miles. <laughs> yeah, four like a mile, four heli mile, trip. Four mile trip, yeah. So Andre and I took that. But anyway, um, and then we had to go to the hospital. Like, oh, man, that was a long night. But um, uh, yeah, so that was that was interesting. My my doctor was, was reading my vitals wrong, and I caught him on it. Like, I was like, dude, that's like my pulse that's not it was i can't remember what it was what he was getting it confused with but it was very a very weird situation yeah the healthcare is not i was like probably what you're used to no i was like we got to get the hell out of here man like i know i just need rest like and i need to rehydrate and chill so you're able to go back to the hotel and and chill but um yeah food poisoning is a hard one right because it's like you need you need fluids Mm -hmm. and you need rest and it's kind of like one of those time things. Like you just got to wait it out and let your body do its thing. Yeah. Because, right, it's just trying to get rid of right, exactly. this alien. And I knew that's what it was. But the, the doctors kept trying to tell me that it was like altitude sickness. I'm like, dude, I was feeling fine up there. And then coming down, like I, I was feeling worse on the way down. You know, like it's not altitude sickness. Yeah. Um, It'd be one thing if you got sick at 20,000. Right. But I was fine You're at 20,000. You're at 11K yeah. and got sick. Yeah. Right. So anyway, yeah, that was a whole ordeal. But um we got it done, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so right when we were on the um, when we were on the mountain, kind of when is when COVID blew up. Fortunately, we were to get in the hospital, and then we had to reschedule our flights early to get out of the country. And we were like one of the last flights to get back to the United States. So mm. that was like right on the cusp. But, wow, that would have been crazy if you guys got stuck down there. I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty fortunate. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that would have been pretty wild. So yeah because they were shut down all travel to to the u.s the government had shut it down and when i remember whenever like our flight attendants was like um saying telling us like yeah you guys are lucky this is like one of the last flights leaving the country so wow that was nice that was such a weird time Mm -hmm. like when everyone like realized covid was like not just like a thing in china anymore and like everyone instantly is like flying to wherever they feel most comfortable in a very quick hurry right like (laughs) I, i don't think maybe like no generation has ever had that 
It was like something out of I Am Legend, like everyone just fighting to get home and fly home yep. because no one knows what the hell is about to happen. Totally. It was I know. such a weird thing. It was very weird. Um, I, I'm fortunate. You know, I, I was living up in Jackson at the time and still am. So f- was able to make it back to Jackson and everything shut down. So I was kind of in my like, it's like uh, this little oasis, but became this like very wealthy <laughs> little oasis. Like every all the all the wealthy people were like, oh, no, we have to, you know, move out there. So like, yeah, they were doing the planes, the flights to Jackson, you know. Oh, yeah. But um, I had my little spot. So that was nice. But yeah, the world changed after that, for sure. Like I got home and lost my job immediately because they shut down the resort. Um, you know, I was working for the Forest Service or had transferring at the time up there from Colorado and lost that, you know, wow. that summer. So yeah, that's crazy. Kind of everything. And apart. what's the, the lifestyle like now for you? Are you, are you still doing the forest service thing or skiing or, um, still ski instructing and yeah, a lot of backcountry skiing. Um, I, I, uh, I'm getting into trail running more. Mm. So I hired a coach for that last year, Sweet. Uh, about a year and a half ago now. Okay. So, um, you know, I've always been like this, like, uh, I don't know, s- pretty solid guy in the mountains, I feel like. But um, I've, I've always kind of wondered what it would be like to, like, really actually train mm. and, you know, in a more professional way. So started doing that really consistently for the last, like, year and a half. Um, you know, because I've always I've I've always wanted I've, I think I've had this in my mind where I want to be a professional athlete in some way. And um uh, the Paralympics just kind of never really did it for me. They just don't have like, I like to be on the mountains, right? You know, like I want to go trail running and, and try to do that. And I see non-disabled individuals doing that, but I don't really see any space right now for people with disabilities. Mm. And so I really want to make space for that in, in those sports mm. and endurance sports. Um, because we don't get like, there's just not the access. There's, you know, a lot of times we're just the last people to get talked about like that, that community. Mm. And for me, you know, as I talked about earlier, I don't have a, much of a, like any mobility disability. So I can, I can kind of put myself in those positions and, you know, hopefully be a, a better advocate for people with disabilities, um, that want to get into those sports into mountain sports. So like ski mountaineering, you know, yeah. trail running, like those, that's what I'm interested in. I'm, I'm not so interested in running around a track. Um, you know, I, I want to be out in the mountains. So, yeah, I, I, I share that sentiment. Like <laughs> road running does not do it for no. me, but like you give me the same amount of miles or the same amount of time frame, and say, I get to run in the mountains instantly. Like my eyebrows shoot up and I'm excited. Yep. I don't know. just is not one is not the other to me. Totally. Oh, it's to- totally different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my, the lifestyle that I've kind of been trying to make for myself up there. Um, I worked as, as a carpenter up there, you know, after COVID hit, got a job as a carpenter, but then, um, uh, I realized carpentry is very hard on your body as it is. And then doing it with one arm is like tenfold, you know, on your, sure. on your one limb. So that's, I think, how I tore my labrum up. So I had to stop doing that. And um, uh, so just taking kind of jobs as I can right now and um, work gear stores and stuff like that. So, cool. yeah, doing that and uh, making life work and staying in the mountains as I can. Yeah. yeah. What's the next endurance thing? Like, do you guys have another plan for the highest lowest? So we were in Europe this past summer. Uh, we, we were trying to do Europe. Hmm. 
But um, Andre has a shoulder injury that's kind of been acting up. And so he wasn't a, he kind of had to drop. So we were already out in Europe. Like I planned like a mountain, like a kind of a training because we were doing Mount Blanc. And we were, I did Is a that the highest in Europe? It's the highest all encom- that's all encompassed in Europe. Um, Mount Elbrus is technically, but it's like on the Eurasian border. Um, it's also on the border of Russia. I see what you're saying. So the limited access right now with the border of Russia. So we were going to do both, like start from the Caspian Sea, which is the lowest point, go to Elbrus because it's not crazy far, and then trek to Mount Blanc, just do both. That was our original plan, but because because of what's going on in Russia and things, um, we decided to just cut it down to Mont Blanc for now. We were gonna do that, but um, we did the mountain, like I, I kind of had a training for us to do, because uh, Andre and Mohammed hadn't been on glaciers before, so I was like, we need to get some training in. So we went to Italy to do that, and Andre just kind of like his messed up his shoulder a little bit further, and was like, yeah, it's not gonna happen for me this year. So he had to bail, and then Muhammad was pursuing the Paralympics. So he has a bunch of races, so he's like, um, it just didn't work out. So uh, I decided to do to pursue a couple of trail races out there. I mm. went to Corsica, my partner and I just stayed in Europe for the summer, because we, we actually lose our housing in Jackson for the summer, so it kind of works out. Oh, okay. So we stayed in, in Europe, and I did uh, the um, Restonica race in Corsica, which is like a 70K race, super technical like beat the crap out of me but really fun and hot but uh lots of elevation so i did that one and that that got me into the occ which is part of the utmb series gotcha um so out of chamonix well it starts in switzerland ends in chamonix um and through that i was able to advocate for other people with disabilities there were uh four other or sorry three other individuals within the utmb series racing with disabilities um, one of my buddies, Zach, he's a uh, professional runner for On, okay. um, on, on Cloud Shoes. And um, he's already been advocating and in, in, in that field and doing it professionally. And um, so we're, we kind of teamed up to, to speak with the UTMB officials to try to make it more accessible for people. Wow. So we're, we're working on that. Yeah. Yeah. They came out with a policy, an adaptive policy, but we're, it's, we're not quite happy with it yet. We're trying to keep the ball rolling and keep that going so yeah yeah. i mean it seems like a a worthwhile effort and something that's close to your heart yeah totally i mean i'd love to see categories coming up you know like i Mm -hmm. want to race and i think like race against people that you know makes sense you know because my whole life i've been competing against people like non-disabled individuals so it's and i'm like it's i got to the point where i'm like i have to be like these people even though i'm not right Mm. and that put me in a really weird negative headspace and now that i'm like more accepting i think of who i am as an individual like not thinking there's something wrong with me it's just how i am and like i'm a normal guy right but um uh normal but different i guess but um more accepting of that so now i'm like well i want to boost other people up to enter this space so we can create something, you know, I want to create a competitive field out of this and like, you know, really bolster it. So that's kind of my, that's kind of my goal going forward in that space. So hopefully I'll run the UTMB one day. That's a goal, you know, do the full hundred, hundred miler out there. So you could do it. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me know if there's anything I can do to help or spread awareness. I think the mission is, uh, extremely admirable and worthwhile in every way get people out in the mountains no matter what kind of hand they were dealt 
Totally. Why not? Yeah. yeah. And with it, like how gear is getting more accessible, it's some really cool things going on right now. Mm. Um, you know, and just like bringing accessibility from like just like a, even street clothes to a- athletic clothes and outdoor clothes. Um, it's really, really cool. Like there are some brands that are maybe accidentally accessible, but it's, it's making life easier for everybody. Right. And, mm. and those create more, more opportunities for people with maybe lack of mobility or something like that. So definitely yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a worthwhile effort and I'm stoked to see where it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I super enjoyed this conversation and I think what you're doing is amazing. So I'm just glad that I got to learn about your story and all the things that you're working on. So appreciate you coming out and thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been great. And yeah, hopefully in the future we get to do a little mountain adventure together. Dude, I love that. Yeah, that'd be great. Till next time. All right, man. See you guys. Picnic. Picnic. (laughs)